0: we're concluding our message series on potholes uh, this week and if this is your first time here or maybe you've been gone for a few weeks maybe uh maybe this is the first one you've been hearing but we've been looking over the last several weeks about just as we go down the road of life different situations circumstances different things that that can come in our our way obstacles in our path that can ultimately um sidetrack our relationship with god and as we close out the, uh, the series this morning, I, I want to talk to you about the number one troublemaker in your life in the past and the number one troublemaker in your life that you'll have for the rest of your life. It- it's the person who-, who gets you into arguments. It's the person that can cause you to, uh, uh, to lose your job. It's a person that can cause you to, to drink too much, to get addicted to, to drugs, and, and just to get engaged in all kinds of unhealthy behaviors that will cause you an endless amount of frustration in your life going forward. And, and what I'm not talking about is Satan and, and the temptations he places before us. I'm not talking about the bad influence in, in, in your life. I, I'm talking about the one that you see every morning when you look in the mirror because ultimately we are the ones that do more to sabotage sabotage our lives than anyone else. Uh, The pothole that I want to talk about this morning is the pothole of being undisciplined because being undisciplined causes a whole lot of trouble for us in our lives. Now, this is probably something you haven't given much thought to, but I hope that as you hear me speak that, that you understand the implications of this um, for your own life. Part of the problem is this, is like there's very few people that have the freedom to speak truth into our lives. And what I mean by that is, is you might say, you know what, my spouse can tell me anything, but if your spouse starts riding you about bad decisions that you're making or so forth, it's gonna create some tension in the relationship. It's gonna create some fireworks. If you've got a friend that that uh, starts talking to you about like maybe some of the decisions that you're making, saying that you, know, that, that you need to make better decisions and starts riding you and so forth, chances are you're gonna start doing things a little less with that individual. Um, you, they're not going to necessarily be your good friend anymore. And I'm here to tell you that like as a pastor, like if, if I get involved in something that's going on in your life and I'm having to sit you down and talk to you about maybe some choices you're making or so forth, pretty soon you're going to like stop going to church here and you'll be going to the church up the road. I just, I know that from experience. It's happened multiple times. You know, very few people are willing to, to hear how, you know, they're living to destructively in how they need to start making better choices. I remember just a, you know a couple years ago uh, I was uh, I was asked to do some premarital or not premarital some marital counseling to this couple that had gone to some counselors and some different things and and none of it had had worked out and so they asked for me to do some counseling for them and and the wife I think was open to this because she thought that I was going to just say that it was all the husband's fault and it was his problem and and I remember we met once. And and then as we met again and again, you know, finally I was pretty direct with her. And I said, listen, like, it's never just one person's fault. Like, you know, yes, he's got some things to work on, but you realize, you know, when you're doing this and when you're doing that and doing that, you know, this is not good. That's not healthy for the relationship. And she was so incredibly offended by the fact that, that I was seeing fault in some of her actions that, that was the last conversation that I ever had with them. And, and so once again, very few people have that privilege uh, to speak into our lives about the, about the dysfunction that we live and the better choices that we can make. And even though we don't necessarily allow our spouse to do that, we don't allow our friends to do that, we don't allow our pastors uh, to do that, um, God's word has that ability to do that. And so let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. And it says this about the word of God that the Word of God is alive. We we think that the Word of God was just something that was spoken 2000 years ago and doesn't necessarily have relevance today. But in fact, it's alive, it's still active, it's still relevant. In fact, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It has the ability to, to penetrate, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and the marrow. And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight for everything is uncovered and it's laid bare before the eyes to him that we must give account. So we're not willing to take the criticism of the unhealthy decisions that we're making in our lives from our spouse or or from our good friends or or maybe from our pastor, but this is why it's important to be in the word of God because the word of God will open it up before our eyes if we're willing to listen. And here's here's really the main point that I wanna make this morning is that having discipline it, it is incredibly important in every area of our life. And if it's incredibly important in every area of our life, then it's, it's also a, a, incredibly important in our spiritual life as well. I think of a, an area of your life that, that ah, it doesn't matter if, if it's disciplined or not. You're watching your game, your favorite game this, this afternoon, and, and it's not going well. And and you've eaten a bunch of food, you're not feeling great, you're getting a little too anxious about the game, and you start having like some chest pains. You know, and you think you might be having a heart attack, and you've got the choice between going to this one emergency room that is known to be like a a, a really good emergency room They get you in fast, they, they always have the right doctors on staff, they're very disciplined and you have the opportunity to go to this other one that they don't have that reputation they might have the right people on staff they might not they're they're not known to be very disciplined when you're having chest pains which one are you going to go to what about like if you decide you want to move and you're having your house built and you have to be out of your house in in like four months are you going to go with a builder that, that is disciplined, that you know, they always have their employees on site, they're always able to keep according to schedule, or are you going to go to, with one that, you know, that they'll deliver it, but they'll deliver it when they deliver it? You're going to go with the one that's going to like, give it to you when you need it. What about if you're going into a battle? Are, you know, you're, you're serving in an army. Are, are you, would you rather serve in a disciplined army where, where like there's a chain of command, people follow that chain of command, everyone knows what it is that, that they're doing? Or are you gonna wanna be a part of an army which, you know, it's undisciplined and, and people kind of do whatever they want. Maybe they'll even run away when it gets, gets a little hectic. Or how about even a sports team? As you're watching the game this afternoon, If the announcer says, you know, such and such team this year is not really disciplined uh, in in the way that they're they're playing this season, is that a compliment? Not at all. You want your sports team to be known as being very disciplined. Here's a quote from Tom Landry, who was a famous coach of the Cowboys back when I was a kid and growing up. Tom Landry said this. He said, my job as a coach is to get men to do what they don't want to do so they can achieve what they always have dreamed of. Look at that quote. My job is to get men to do what they don't want to do. What don't men want to do? They don't want to be disciplined. But his job was to create discipline so ultimately they could achieve that which they would only dream of. And he was known as being a very disciplined coach. Now, the Bible has a term for, for being disciplined. And it's going to be the, the, the word that I'm going to use probably the rest of the sermon this morning. And that word is self-control. That word self-control is is just not just a word of the Bible. It, it's actually a fruit of the Spirit. And if you have self-control, you're probably going to be spiritually disciplined. But you're, if you're not good at self-control, then you're probably not going to be very spiritually disciplined. What does the Bible say about self-control? Look at Proverbs 25, 28. It says this like a city whose walls are broken through, is a person who lacks self-control. Now, you got to put yourself back in Bible times. They had walls around the city for a reason. That was the only protection that they had from, from raiders and you know, outsiders and, and, and all kinds of mischief. You wanted to have a good wall of protection around the city. If that wall's broken through, that's not a good thing. This is what self-control does to us is it puts a wall around our life to protect us from the dysfunction of the world. And if, if that self-control is not there, then that wall of protection isn't there because self-control or self-discipline, it's what keeps us on a worldly level, like things like overeating, right? I mean, the food nowadays is amazing what they can do with taste, but with that taste comes all this, like, you know, extra fat or extra sugar, or extra calories, uh, self-control, self-discipline is, is where we like, don't overindulge in it. Self-discipline keeps us from overindulging in, in drinking and in alcohol. Self-control is something that keeps us from overspending. Self-control is, is something that keeps us from, from wanting to get revenge. When people do st- things to hurt us, our natural inclination is to want to get them back. If you hit me, I want to hit you harder. That, that's what the flesh says. But self-control says, you know what? I want to do that, but I'm not going to do that. It's self-control that keeps us from, from being vulgar in our speech because the natural inclination is when we get frustrated, we're going we're gonna to maybe start cussing or, or maybe when we speak about people we don't like, we're going to say all kinds of bad things about them. You know, someone cuts us off on the road and we want this and we want that. Self-control is like, I want to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Without self-discipline, and without self-control uh, we open ourselves up to all kinds of dysfunctional, unhealthy and unspiritual behavior. Look at Proverbs 16:32. Better a person, I'm sorry, better a patient person than a warrior. Better one with self-control than one who takes a city. Now, this is written for a you know, biblical audience a long, long, long time ago. So if it was written today, it would be written differently. But we get the concept back then, it was all about a warrior. And if someone was able to take control of a city, they'd be a hero. And it's saying, it's you know what, it's better to be patient and it's better to have self-control than to even be a a military hero. Well, if if that was rewritten today for your benefit and mine, it would say something like this, better is self-control than to become a professional athlete. And I'm here to tell you, like, as we hear that, we're like, no, 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 it's not, but it is. If it was written today, (coughs) it would be better is self-control than to be a billionaire. And in the flesh we're like, no, I don't think it is. But it is. That's what this proverb is saying. But we just chase after these lesser things. How many of us in here, like I said, this is probably a topic that very few of us, has ever, very few of us have ever even thought of. How many of you ha- have given it much thought to try to develop self-control? How many of you have given any thought to, to pray for self-control or to ask God uh, for self-control or self-discipline? How many of us are even desiring it? Look at Titus 1 7 to 8. As God's steward, they must be above reproach. He, he mustn't be arrogant or quick tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but should be hospitable, lover of good, self controlled, holy. And disciplined. As God's steward, we're told you should be that. Who's God's steward? Well, it's those who manage the the affairs of God, but ultimately, God's steward is someone who's an ambassador of, who represents God Himself. And what that person should have is be self-disciplined and self-control. What separates a believer from an unbeliever? Well, an unbeliever does what he wants when he wants to, but a believer won't. A believer will do what God wants, when God wants to. You know, companies have policy manuals. All of you probably, or most of you work at a company that does. And the company lays out like certain qualifications of the expectations of the job. And part of the expectations is is how you represent the job. So there's probably clauses in there in terms of um, um, how you act, how you uh, handle certain situations, how you speak, how you dress, maybe even stuff that you put on social media. Because the stuff that you put on social media, all of this stuff has reflections upon the company itself. Well, God calls for us to be self disciplined for our. benefit, but also because when when we're not being self-disciplined, when we're living according to to the the ways of the world, then then we certainly give a black eye to God and for those who call themselves to be Christians. Now, this is going to be maybe something a little bit controversial, and that is this. If God loves us, he will punish our lack of self-control. God will punish it if he loves us well what do i mean by that well if someone's not disciplined in the military will there be punishment for that individual you better believe that there'll be punishment for that individual Uh, there may be like you know ramifications in terms of promotions or uh, just uh, you know extra punishments of different kinds put on someone because self-discipline is incredibly important in the military parents well, parents Punish self-discipline? I hope so. You got you, you, you got to decide that for yourself. If your if your child is not showing self-control and self-discipline, are you gonna punish that? Well, if you love them, you will. What about sports teams? Do you think that there is punishment on sports teams when, when people aren't showing self-discipline and self-control? If, you want, if you're if you a coach and you want your team to be successful, there better be. Um, I, I heard like a week ago or so, people were asking Deion Sanders, the, the coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, all a bunch of hype about them because they didn't win like any games last year. Uh, they started off winning their first two games. Um, the next game didn't work out so well and I'm not sure what happened yesterday. But anyways, they asked him, why, why aren't you playing your number one recruit? He's a freshman, but he, he's your number one recruit. You know, he, he should be a starter. Why are you not playing him? And, and, and Deion Sanders' answer to that is that I'm able to see which one of my players log in to look at film and do research on, on, on the opposing team. Until this guy starts doing that and doing some of the other things that are expected of him, he's not going to get playing time. Why? Because if a team's going to be successful, the, its players have to have self-discipline. And, and so listen, if it's true of the military, if it's true of your children, if it's true of a sports team, don't you think that self-discipline might be something that's a, pretty critical to our faith walk with God? I did a podcast a couple weeks ago talking about how God does punish, even curse our um, our negative behavior. And it was based off of this passage. Look at Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28. And Moses writes this, it's, it's from the Lord. He says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. If you obey my commandments, that is, if you're self disciplined, obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, uh, th- there's blessing. But there is a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. In other words, if there is no self-discipline, it's a curse. So with self-discipline, blessing, following the commands. Lack of self-discipline, not following the commands. Blessing, curse. But then turn aside the way that I am commanding you today to go after the other gods that you have not known. See, if I was to ask this question of, of of Christians in general, this congregation, or or it doesn't matter where, if I was to say, how many of you believe that God will bless us? I'm here to tell you like 100% of us, or 99, there's always one that's difficult, but everyone would say, yep, the Lord blesses us. But if I was to say, how many of you believe God curses you? You guys would be like, whoa, whoa, no. They didn't teach that in Sunday school. God doesn't, God doesn't curse us. God wouldn't curse us. Uh, but yet we have here in Deuteronomy a promise of, of blessing and a promise of, of curse. And, and people's natural reaction is like, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. Like, like somehow God like, had a personality change between the old and the new. Like when I read the Bible, it says God was the same yesterday as he is today and is, as he is tomorrow. And if there are blessings and curses like in the Old Testament, there's blessings and curses in the New Testament. You can't just drop one of them off and keep the other because you're in a different Testament. In fact, when we look at the Bible, we see that there are curses in the New Testament. I, a few months ago, I, I preached a story about Ananias and Sapphira. They were the ones that sold their property and, and they got a bunch of money for it. They went to lay it at the, the apostles' feet. The, uh, Peter asked them, is that all the money that you got? They're like, yeah, that's all we got. They were lying uh, and they weren't giving it all. And uh, and, and, and both Ananias and, and his wife dropped dead before Peter because of their lie. It, it, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty significant curse in the New Testament. If you listen to Jesus' words to the Pharisees, and to the Sadducees, and to the religious leaders, there's a fair amount of, uh, of, of curse that goes along with those words. In fact, if you remember the story, Jesus and his disciples are walking to Jerusalem, and they pass by a tree, a fig tree, that wasn't producing fruit, which probably was out of season anyways, but the tree wasn't producing fruit, and what does Jesus do? He curses the tree. He literally curses a tree, it withers and dies. That's not a story about trees. Well, it is, but it's, not, it's meant to illustrate like people that won't produce fruit. There's that curse, that, 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 that punishment. So the blessings and the curses are still relevant today, even in the New Testament. Why? Because the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. That's why I said if God loves us, he he, he will discipline us for for our lack of self-control. And this is the part that's going to sting a little bit. What if if some of the frustrations that we experience in our life is because God is punishing our lack of self-control? Some of us in here are like broke all the time and just frustrated because we we, we can never make ends meet. What if that frustration, what if that curse, what if that punishment is a result of God trying to discipline us because he loves us? Some of us in here are never happy. Maybe our unhappiness stems from the fact that, you know, God is punishing us for our lack of self-control maybe some of us in here are just perpetually frustrated with our life. Maybe some of the frustrations are a result of our actions of 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 not being disciplined in the way that we live our lives. You know some of these things don't seem like a big deal but 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 maybe God, punishes these. Maybe he curses them. Maybe maybe it's just a lack of self-control in your speech. Maybe like you cuss like a sailor or you gossip about other people or just, you know, just say all kinds of things that, that aren't becoming of being a child of God. Like, could God actually discipline that? Could God actually punish that? What what if it's our lack of of self-control in which God blesses us with all of this, the the money and and house, home, and all this, but at the end of the month, like, there's just nothing left because we've just squandered it. Could could God potentially punish that? What if it's our, you know, lack of self-control in the establishments that we go to or the music we listen to? or the movies we watch literally do you think god would punish me because of the music i listen to or 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 the places that i I go to or the movies i watch absolutely see this is the problem that we have about god is like if we think that god might curse or punish us it's going to be the big things like we rob someone we beat someone up um we killed someone. Yeah, God, God's going to punish that. Is that how it works in the military? It's only like when you kill someone that you get disciplined? Is that how it works on the football team? It's only like when you like like rob your teammate that you get disciplined? No. Is that how you do it as a parent? I hope not. Because what you do is you discipline the little things so that you never get to the big things. So things that don't seem like really relevant, really significant, like does God really care about, you know, the clothes that we wear or don't wear, absolutely he does. If it isn't becoming of of the Christians we claim to profess, God will curse that, God will punish that if he loves us. Because once again, God disciplines those he loves. And so then the next question that's bouncing in your mind right now is like, why would God punish that? I thought Jesus paid the price in full. Well, the truth is, is he did. The fullness of your sin and my sin, thank God, has been placed upon the cross of Jesus Christ. If it had not been for the cross of Jesus Christ, we would have no hope, uh, we would have no salvation, we would have nothing. So don't hear me wrong. Like all of our sin has been placed upon Jesus. But that doesn't give us license to still go and live destructively because that's called cheap grace. It's like we make a mockery of the sacrifice. Jesus made the sacrifice to pay for it, so we just keep on doing it. It's it's like making spoiled children out of us. It's kind of like this. Let's say you racked up a half a million dollars in debt. And, and you like you couldn't afford like your cars, you couldn't afford your home. Uh, you know you, you're about to lose your business. You're about to lose it all. And I mean you you're hurting in a bad way. And someone comes in and says, "Listen, I, I have the ability to help you by the grace of God. I'm going to help you." And they pay that debt off completely. Wow, what a blessing that would be then what if you then just go and start racking up debt over and over and over again and start getting you to the place that you can't pay for that debt again? That would make a a mockery of what that person has already given you. So when Christ, yeah, Christ paid the full price, but then we don't go back on doing, you know, all those things that he's paid the price for. Or let's say you're like a drug addict and, and, and you overdose and someone in your group happened to have that Narcan or whatever that shot is that they give you and, and, and like it, it can help stabilize you and save your life. Someone does that, uh, you know, that ought to be like the wake-up call to stop doing it. That doesn't mean great, you know, I'm gonna go and do it again, you know, next week or, or two months from now. So, in fact, Jesus did pay the debt in full, but as a result, we're called to live a life of self-discipline that that shows us to be obedient children of Christ. Now, for the remainder of the time, I want to give you kind of two different ways that we need to focus on to become more self-disciplined and self-controlled in our faith, to be more self-disciplined spiritually. And the first is this, and it's a weird one because there's not really a spiritual component to it, but there is. And that is that we have to learn to control our body and our mind. Because all sin is gonna stem from our body and our mind. And until you learn to control the flesh, you can't live the life of the spirit. Paul talks about this. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one's gonna get the prize. He said, run in such a way so that you will get the prize. For everyone competes and the games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, Paul says, I'm not going to run around like someone running aimlessly. I'm not going to fight like a boxer that just beats the air. No, I'm going to strike a blow to my body. I'm going to make my body a slave that he controls so that after I've preached to others, I may not be disqualified from the prize. Paul knew that if he was to get his spirit right, he had to first get in control of his body and of his flesh. And it's a struggle. It's not like this is just dropped on, on Paul's lap. It's not like it just came naturally. Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The, 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 the bad that I, I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. And, and there's just this battle and there's this struggle. But, but you got to work at it. He relates it to the training of of games, to be a boxer, uh, to be a runner, to be an athlete. It only comes through countless of hours of of work and effort. There's a Swedish psychologist by the name of Anders Ericsson. Uh, He and his colleagues found that talent, shocking, is a result of deliberate practice. Let me say that again. Talent is a result of deliberate practice. And in their research, they found out that for you to be pretty talented at something, really good at something, it basically takes 10 years, 10,000 hours of, of practice. And if you break that out, that's like 19 hours of practice every week for 10 years. Like you're just, you're not naturally going to be great at something. But if you put enough time into it, if you put enough practice, if you put in 19 hours a week, every week, for every year, for 10 years, you're going to be pretty good at it. What if we put that kind of effort into our faith? What if we put that kind of effort into becoming um, self-controlled and self-disciplined people? I've spent a lot of time myself, like I just understanding and resonating with what, what, what Paul calls for us to do, to like, to be able to mute the, the, the desires of the flesh. And I, I, that's, that's why I fast. I don't fast every week. I don't even fast every month. Sometimes maybe just two or three times a year, maybe five or six times a year. But when I fast, I'll fast anywhere from 24 hours to 70 hours. What what determines it? Well, I mean, what determines it is probably when's the next time I have to preach and I've got to have energy. Um, how nauseous all my medicine's making me after not eating for two or three days. There's a lot of things that will go into it. But I do it so that like that, that I'm not being controlled by my my stomach or my, my cravings for food or, or weak of the mind, that if I can learn to shut out hunger and, and the desires for the things of the flesh, th- then I can be much more obedient to God. Then, when like, you know, you know friends might be pressuring me to do something, I, I won't have to succumb to that. Then, when, you know, b- big givers in the church come to me and want to get me to change, I don't have to succumb to that. Then, like, you know, if down the road the, the police come knocking on the door uh, because, you know, we're not allowed to preach and teach certain things in church like other parts of, uh, uh, of the country, th- then that stuff won't matter because I've just shut it down. The things of the body and the flesh ultimately don't matter. I've shared with you guys jokingly, but it's true that my second year in my house, I swam to the day before Thanksgiving. And the day before Thanksgiving, as I was swimming, I only made it 15 minutes through the 30-minute swim, and literally like one hand and one arm stopped working. And, And as I was swimming with one arm and two legs and the other arm stopped working, I knew it was time to get out. Why just, I don't want to go in that cold water. I, you know, there's nothing about it. I, uh, like, but it's, it's about denying like the, the, the feelings of the flesh. I, a few years back was fishing with a friend, a couple friends and my brother. And um, it, it, we were trout fishing in, in Arkansas in January. It was like 19 degrees outside. In the water, I'm guessing, was probably about 33 or 34 degrees. And the reason I say that is because as soon as the string came out of the water, right away it was starting to freeze. So the water was close to freezing and the air was, like I said, about 19 degrees. Well, my my buddy had dropped his fillet knife uh, just off the dock, and it was probably about eight or nine feet deep there. And, uh, and the water was completely clear so you could see it. and. Uh, And he, you know, he kind of dared me to to go get it. And you know what I did? Like I I jumped in, I swam underwater and and I grabbed it. Was I looking forward to going into 33 degree water? Did I even know what I was about to experience? I I had no idea. Um, Why did I do it? Well, I did it because one, I, I don't want the things of the flesh to like control what I do or don't do. And honestly, he like bet me 40 bucks I wouldn't. True story. I, you know, I can think of at least a couple times over the last year that when I'm playing sports, like something weird is going on with my body and like everyone else is fine, but like I'm about to pass out to the point that I'm like seeing a speck of light. Now you would think when that's going on, someone would be like, guys, I'm sorry, I'm not going to play anymore. I need to sit down. Me, no, I just, I mean, I just kind of force my way through it, right? I, I, I keep doing it. Why? Well, one, I'm stupid. Uh, two, I'm stubborn. And, and three, it's like I, I, I don't want to be controlled by any of the inconveniences of the flesh. There's nothing about what I'm describing to you that's easy or, or whatever, but, but it, it's about like being able to to say that, that there's things that matter more than the, 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 the things that I'm feeling in, in, in this world so that it, it kind of prevents you from, from being tempted by, by those things of the flesh. Well, once we, and let me just say this, you can't exercise... If you, can't, if you cannot control your flesh, let me say it that way. If you cannot control your body, uh, you can't ever exercise control over your spirit. If you're going to live according to the spirit, first you've got to be willing to, what Jesus says is, deny yourself. Deny yourself. You might want this, but deny yourself, and then you take up your cross and you follow him no matter how uncomfortable it is. All right, so lastly, once we've learned to turn off the flesh, to not be um, controlled by our emotions, our feelings, our hungers, our thirst, our need to have friends, whatever it is, once we've learned to shut that off, then we can live by the spirit. Look at Galatians 5, 16 to 25. So I say, walk by the spirit. And if you walk by the spirit, then you won't gratify the the desires of a flesh. For the flesh is going to desire what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit's going to desire what's contrary to the flesh. Because ultimately the two are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality and impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, even hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I, I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But contrary to this is something called the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self control. Now, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. With the Spirit. See, here's the problem I think as Christians is too many of us want to live according to the things of this world and the things of the flesh and also like try to be a, a good practicing Christian. And, and it says that they're in, in conflict with each other, they're contrary to each other. It's kind of like soaking your campfire wood in water and then putting a match to it and expecting it's going to light. It's just not going to happen. We have to first die to the flesh and then we can live for Christ. And what's interesting is in that whole list of the things of the flesh, the first thing it says is like the acts of the flesh are obvious, it says. I mean, I would say that there, there was a time that, that the acts of the flesh were obvious, but I'm here to tell you like nowadays the acts of the flesh aren't obvious because about half of the things on there are just normal. Hatred, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness. I mean, probably three quarters of those are eh, it's not obvious anymore what's right what used to be wrong is not right what's right is wrong it's not obvious anymore in our day and age and that's why this has to be taught and preached from the pulpit the other thing that's interesting is you have this whole list of different things and then look at what it says at the bottom it says and the like in other words this isn't an exhaustive list of the things of the flesh I mean there there can be much more Now, we're to put away the things of the flesh and then we're to live by the spirit. I'm gonna close out the sermon now, just giving you four ways in which uh, we're called to live by the spirit and what it means to live by the spirit. And the first is this, when we live by the spirit, it means that we have to yield ourselves to God's control. That it's no longer what I want and what I desire, but ultimately it's about what God wants and what God desires. It is what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about me, but it's about God. That's where it starts. And then the second thing that, that it moves to is that we've got to be willing to walk in obedience And some people argue, well, anyone can walk in obedience. Anyone can go through the outward motions. No, I would say what's far more likely is Christians claim to be Christian, but their walk doesn't represent that they are Christian. And I found this, like, when I walk in obedience, even if, like, I'm forcing myself to do something that I don't want to do, eventually, like, my heart and my spirit will catch up. What does it mean to walk in obedience? Well, when we give sacrificially, when we tithe, that's the way that we walk in obedience. Now I'm here to tell you when I started doing that in college, that wasn't particularly enjoyable. But as you walk in obedience and you do it regardless of whether you want to or not, then over time you, you end up taking joy in seeing you know, what your giving does uh, in, in terms of being able to uh, accomplish God's good in this, this world. When we serve, like there's probably many Wednesdays we'd rather stay at home or Sundays, we'd rather just come for an hour. And so maybe we we don't wanna serve. And and so we just wanna show up and and go home. But you know what? When we walk in obedience, we serve, even though we don't feel like serving sometimes. You know, when we walk in obedience, we just choose not to go to certain places. Are there places that I would like to go that I choose not to go? Absolutely, all the time. But when walking in obedience, you know, I, I, I won't do that. When we walk in obedience, we you know, choose not to say certain things that we would otherwise like to say. I can tell you this, is like if you come and tell me off, right? You, you don't wanna know what's gonna start bouncing around in my head. But I can promise you this, whatever's coming out of my mouth isn't gonna be go, going, what's going on in my head, right? Why? Because when I walk in obedience, I don't tell you off back. I, I try to say what I need to say, but I try to say it as lovingly as I possibly can. I just, I would rather tell you off, Right? That's not what walking in obedience is. When we walk in obedience, we don't watch certain things that, that we, you know, our friends might be watching or, or that we think would be really funny or whatever. When we walk in obedience, we, you know, we, we just don't do certain things. We don't uh, talk certain ways. When we walk in obedience, every aspect of our life really ought to look different than, than what the average person would be doing because you're walking in obedience to Christ. That's what it means to walk in the spirit that we yield our desires to him, that we die to ourselves and we follow Christ. And with that, we walk in obedience. And that oftentimes means doing things we'd rather not do. And then it means that, that we do do other things regularly that help us to grow in our faith and, and grow in our walk in the spirit. And, and that's where fasting becomes important because in fasting, once again, we're learning to, to deny the flesh. The flesh is the killer here. The flesh is always trying to get us to do things that will distract us from our relationship with God. And, and fasting is just one of those ways in which we fight the flesh. Going to church, because you're hearing a message like coming to church. I'm, I'm encouraging all of you to exercise self-discipline and self-control, and you probably haven't heard a lot of messages about it, but it's so incredibly important. When we go to church, it's where we hear God's word proclaimed to us. When we go to Bible class, not only are we hearing God's word and growing in God's word, but it's more informal, so we have opportunity to share life stories with one another. Wow, you went somewhere and you had that happen to you. I went here and I had that happen to you to me and we grow together prayer is a discipline that builds spiritual discipline like that we make it a a priority to pray to god and making that priority to pray to god it builds a spiritual discipline within us and lastly meditation When when we meditate, when we turn off the TV, when we put the kids to bed, when we put our phone down, not when we're just about to fall asleep, but we put it down intentionally before we fall asleep so that we can close our eyes and reflect upon God, his word, um, his will for our lives in in the prayers that we offer up. This is an opportunity in which then we grow in, uh, in the spirit. And then ultimately, there's this list of what it looks like to be uh, a child of God, uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit. I wanna read this list to you. And I want you to you keep track in yourself how many of these apply to you. It says that the fruit of the Spirit are these, love. Would people say that you're a loving person? Joy. Would people say that you're a joyful person? Peace. Would people say, you know what? They just have this sense of peace about them. Would they say you're patient? Would they say you're good? Would they say you're kind? Would they say you're gentle? Would they say you're faithful? And would they say that you have self-control? You see, these are the fruit of the spirit that as we, as we deny our flesh and walk according to the spirit and the will of God, then, then these are the qualities and characteristics that, that we should exhibit. I would just challenge once again all of us with this. Are you frustrated and discontent with your life? If you are, it's it's easy to blame others. It's easy to blame you know your job, it's easy to blame you know your friends, it's easy to blame your kids. It's easy to blame like all of these different things in our lives. But it starts by looking in the mirror. and recognizing, you know what? Am I living a self-disciplined life? Am I living a life of self-control? Because in the end, God will bless that. And if you aren't, if he loves us, he will punish that. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, as we wrestle with this message this morning and all of us, I think, live a, live a life that At times, uh, we don't uh, live with the self-control and the self-discipline that you call us to live in you. I pray that you'd, you'd help us to know that it's not just the big things that matter, but it's the little things. I thank you, gracious God, for the frustrations that you give us along the way, but only that they get our attention, that we recognize that so much of the drama and the dysfunction that comes into our lives are brought by our own decisions that we make. Help us, gracious God, pour out your spirit upon us so that we would recognize that, that uh, you've called for us to be self-controlled and self-disciplined people and in so doing, uh, receive the blessing that you promised for all of, for all of us who, who seek to live um, in the spirit as faithful children of you, as you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus holy and his precious name, amen.